Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we speak with Roy Price, the head of Amazon Studios, about his hopes for Sunday's Emmy Awards, how Amazon picks its original shows, and how the company wants to expand internationally. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. Uh, I'm here with my boss, Amal Sharma. Hey, boss. How's it going? Good to be here, Stephen. Uh, so we've got a really exciting pre-Emmy episode here, special, and we are joined by Roy Price. He's the vice president of Amazon Prime Video and Amazon Studios, uh, spearheads their uh, content division. You know, shows like Transparent, Mozart in the Jungle. That's Roy. Roy, thanks for uh, being with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you guys are nominated for 16 Emmys. Is that correct, right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what is your pre-Emmy superstition ritual like? What are you doing to get ready? Are you super excited? What do you need to do to make sure you're going to win all 16? Well, you know, they've already done... Uh, the creative, right? The, yeah. So they did 10, and we were four for 10, so we got 40%. Uh, which would be above like a random outcome, so that's great. Uh, normally, I wear my special black tie shoes, and they're my good luck shoes, and they've never failed. And uh, I'll probably wear them again this year. So, so Emmy is uh, obviously a big important thing for you. How important is it from a business perspective? Is this just sort of like a feather in your cap? You get to, all, you know, walk the red carpet, or is this really like? we need to win Emmys because this is going to be great for our business. Well, I think it does have importance in two ways. I think it kind of has uh, what you call B2B importance and B2C importance. And on the B2B side, the you know, for a creator, for a writer, for an actor, uh, to know that you can be acknowledged for your work uh, in in a given context is important. And so I think to have that kind of outcome is is encouraging for uh, for everybody, and you know, we've had it in the past, so we've had a pretty strong uh, awards performance so far, and I think that's reassuring and uh, helps bring more material and top creators in. From a customer point of view, you definitely observe that whether it's the Globes or the Emmys, uh, it generates a lot of interest, and a lot of people come and uh, watch the show, so it is helpful. You know, Jeff uh, Jeff Bezos said, I think it was back in June, might have been at the Code Conference. He was on your second point there. He said, uh, when when we win at the Golden Globes, I mean, it was like a passing remark, but he said something about if we win at the Golden Glo- Globes, we sell more shoes. And and it, but he actually wasn't kidding. He was talking about reinforcing the Prime membership and that the people, I guess, who might be more engaged on Prime, maybe because they want to watch your show. Uh, tend to spend more and so there's a real it's it's different from other media companies or even your streaming rivals that that value equation i mean is that is that actually true i mean are there products uh i don't know what shoes one would buy after they watch transparent but um. <laughs> yeah well there's no question i think it brings people to the site it brings people to the show there are so many shows these days you know four or five hundred being submitted to the academy and to be in the top five or to be number one uh, is great, and people definitely come. They come and watch the show. They join Prime, and the whole dynamic of Prime is it's it's got an awesome video service, but it's broad and, broader than that. It's also uh, the biggest retailer, and uh, and so it has synergies there. 
You've also um, you've launched a few new shows recently, and there have been some there have been some comedies, and people have noted a theme that you guys seem to be doing a lot of these um, some call them dark comedies, dramedies, tragic comedies, whatever you want to. Call it. There's all these words for it. Yeah. Uh, is that a is that a conscious effort to do that kind of programming, or is it a coincidence, or is it is it something you've seen appeals to your user base and and the data? Is, is that uh, is that even a trend? You know, I think part of it is that it's important to differentiate from uh, what you might call the regular TV that you automatically get, like broadcast TV. And then secondly, I think there is a real longer-term trend toward uh, things that are really genuine and feel real and feel moving. And so you can have a lot of comedy in a piece like that, but uh, but it's also got the emotion. It feels like the texture of real life and human beings. And um, and so you it, it can have a slightly different tone. So you see that probably in Mozart, in Transparent, in uh, Fleabag, which is a new show just about to come out, which is awesome, and uh, One Mississippi, which premiered the other day. Yeah, One Mississippi, it comes across. It's kind of like you don't know... It, it, the traditional comedy where there's cues, to, you, you kind of know when you're when you're supposed to laugh. There's a rhythm to it. The, mm-hmm. Obviously, the sitcom, but but definitely even single cam comedies. It, there's there's kind of a certain feel and rhythm to them. And this is broken out of that. It it, it can go long stretches you, where you, you it feels like on, a dramatic thing. You yeah. see that on cable now, though. Yeah. More days like FX, mm-hmm. like that have that new show Atlanta. That's very like Louie, those sorts of shows. So it seems like that might be a general trend in in television. Broader, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think there is a tradition that goes back, uh, you know, like the tenor of great James L. Brooks movies kind of has that feeling where it's really funny and really moving and they feel real. Or going back to Neil Simon plays, um, or if I had ever read anything written before 1970, then I'm sure stuff before that. Uh, you know, but, we can only assume. Yeah, right? well, I mean, whatever. But um, uh, yeah, so in general, you might say that there's a trend from uh, stuff that feels like television to stuff that feels like film. And uh, sometimes, you know, we've been talking about uh, that trend and saying, you know, uh, television is dead. Long live film vision. Because I, I think you'll see it in comedy and drama. It's really moving in general to a more cinematic entertainment. I think it's probably worth talking about your, you're just talking about f- film, so your your background, I mean, you are a product of Hollywood. You were a Hollywood kid, right? I mean, your your father, he was um, a uh, universal, he ran universal in the 70s and 80s, and it, it's sort of interesting because you, you grew up in that world that must have been really interesting, and now you're kind of, you're in it, but in a way you're, you're, you're a streaming guy. You're sort of a threat to that old old world. Has that been sort of an interesting dynamic for you personally? Well, you know, when uh, my grandfather got into television just after World War II and he uh, wound up creating Maverick and uh, Rockford Files and The Fugitive and other shows, uh, that was very innovative. You know, at that time they were talking about the threat of television and it's really a threat to Hollywood, to film. And uh, so at the time, it was really the uh, innovative thing to do. So, you know, the industry keeps evolving, and I think the key is to keep being on the edge and, you know, stay with the wave where it's going. 
What is your view on the on the future of the television business now, particularly the cable TV business? You guys have been, along with others, in a way, disrupting it, attacking it, but it has its own problems independent of that. Uh, and, um, you know, obviously it's rested on the rerun business, the syndication business. There's all these revenue streams that have powered it over the years that all, you know, the cable TV fees, the, re- the, the rerun fees that all kind of seem to be in flux or under a lot of threat right now. What do, where do you think it's going? What do you think it shakes out in the next couple of years? Well, it's hard to say. Nobody, nobody knows. Uh, I think a lot of those cable brands uh, retain significant value. Uh, they have, you know, navigational value and uh, customer loyalty, and so they have a lot of strength uh, and continuing importance to customers. And um, many of them we actually make available on a subscription basis uh, at Amazon Video with Amazon Channels. So you can get Stars, Showtime, add them to your Prime Video subscription. And people definitely care about those brands and others. And um, so I think those remain significant. I, I think the uh a lot of the business models that generated you know ultimates for tv shows at studios um probably are a little speculative with respect to uh some of the numbers that may be in those spreadsheets having to do with syndication that's probably a little more speculative now but right. there are svod revenues that are new that are enhancing the models so really nobody knows for sure you know the 5 year time horizon, you know, what are the syndication, what are the back-end numbers look like for some of those shows? All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll have more with Roy Price right after this. I'm Katie Hill. And I'm Quentin Fottrell. There's too many markets and more where we talk about the most fascinating personal finance stories of the week. The selfie now kills more people annually than sharks. 75% of Americans tip less than 20%. You want to collect Pikachu? Collect Pikachu. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a cotton picking minute. What's so special about a Pikachu? For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. And now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. Money, market. And more. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Roy, we're back. Um, you mentioned that you've got uh, some bundles, sort of, of, of Showtime is one of them, and, and some of these pay TV channels, stars that you offer now with Amazon. Um, you've also been talking to a lot of media companies, and they, they are excited about this, about broadening that bundle, about getting a little bit um, further out there with a cable like package of channels. Uh, Hulu is doing this. They're going to come to market pretty soon with it. Uh, How soon can we expect that from Amazon? Something along those lines. Well, you know, we tend to uh, follow, go where customers want us to go and respond to customer demand and uh, at the same time, you know, try to create offers that work both, of course, for customers and for uh, media producers, media companies, and you got to make a match. And uh, I'm sure there are probably some uh, matches that can be created there that would be fun and exciting and new that would make sense both for customers and for media companies. Do you buy this? No- there seems to have been this kind of magic target of uh, if you want to hit the cord cutters uh, and cord nevers, more importantly, uh, you've got to get in the kind of thirty to forty dollars a month is where 
you want to be with a package of channels. Do you do you buy into that, or is that too inflexible a way of looking at how you could you could offer programming, uh, streaming programming to people? Well, I don't know. I think there's only one way to find out. Uh, well, in theory, you guys would have more flexibility, right? Because you've got yeah. the Prime. So, I mean, could you envision a world where there's some sort of hundred twenty dollar bundle that includes Prime and a few channels? It's sort of skinny-ish. Like you're sort of getting kind of there. Maybe you guys have a little more pricing flexibility there. I think there'll be a lot of innovation and experimentation in this area in the next few years, different kinds of channels, and I think there's a lot of fun to be had, and, and you know, we'll, we'll just have to see, you know, what works. If you do the package that I just described, we get we get that cut. Right? Yeah, you get it for free. <laughs> you heard it here idea. first on the, <laughs> yeah. the podcast. That's the way it works. Uh, well, so kind of shifting gears a little bit, what do you, th- what do you make of uh, net, uh, sorry, not Netflix, but Nielsen uh, kind of getting into measuring um, ratings on streaming services. Is that a huge threat to to you and the the sort of streaming landscape? No, I um, don't think about it a lot. It doesn't uh, keep you up you at know, night. I mean, the thing is, we don't sell ads, so uh, I don't know. Does it matter that much? You know, to me. Uh, if they have some sort of estimate of who's watching what, I don't. I don't think it'll make that much of a difference to me. In theory, wouldn't it change the negotiations that you're having with uh, studios, talent, any any sort of number of uh, other players in the ecosystem? Right now, you have kind of unilateral information about who's watching what. It might. It, it could drive some prices up, and but by the same token, it could br- drive some down. So I, I think everything would just come out in the wash. And um, so I, I don't know that it would really make any significant operational change. You mentioned you mentioned advertising. You guys don't have ads right now. Is there any uh, on the horizon? Could you foresee any sort of ad-supported video uh, service uh, for Amazon, or, or is that really not in the, not in the cards? Well, we're open to uh, being you know experimental with business models. I mean, we have uh, the subscription model. But, uh, you know, there's no subscription service that has has uh, the newest movies, and those are only available on transactional, so you have to rent them or buy them digitally. <laughs> and uh, so we also make that available because if you only have subscription, then you just can't have recent movies, and people want recent movies. So we have both of those. Uh, and so you can imagine... Um, experimenting with various things uh, in the future. But we're mostly focused on subscription and the a la carte subscriptions and uh, transactional video on demand. You guys, speaking of, um, of experimentation, even within subscriptions, you guys earlier this year started offering the standalone um, <coughs> nine bucks a month prime, prime video option instead of everyone having to pay the $99 uh, for, for the bigger prime service. Um, is I'm curious if that uh, it was an interesting choice because it seemed to me that p- part of what distinguished Amazon from Netflix and its the, and the value equation was what I was saying earlier about you know this was the video was kind of reinforcing the larger prime value and that was the talking point in the very beginning when this started. What changed to think that that made sense? And have you have you found in uh, with the with the standalone service that you're that you're able to to reach people that otherwise you wouldn't is it a different demo that wants that service that that doesn't want the bigger prime? 
Well, we always want people to be able to get what they want. So if some people want video only, uh, we do have that, and they want to do it monthly. But, uh, but you know, most people, uh, certainly given the price, you know, it's uh, $99 for all of Prime for the year. Um, that is an amazing deal, and most people still go for that, you know. And um, so we're all about creating options where people have a preference, but I think the uh, the base case is still the predominant case. You guys have been, um, compared, to, compared to Netflix, um, a little bit more cautious about the international expansion. I mean, those those guys have spent this year basically in a... Uh, in a, a major aggressive effort to expand everywhere, buy rights for all those countries, that comes with lots of costs. Invest that's you know the investors are looking at that as the future of Netflix's growth. You you guys have been a little bit more cautious about that. Talk us through the thinking of how to approach the international markets and how quickly and where to go and how to approach it. Well, Amazon has a high awareness um, outside the territories where we currently operate in video, U.S., U.K., DE, uh, Germany, Austria, Japan. Um, uh, so we have a lot of awareness outside those territories. There is demand, and so there's a desire to uh, to go there and continue to grow and serve those customers. I've uh, been working on India and look forward to having a, having a strong service there. I've uh, been doing, I think, a lot of good work in Japan, and that's going well. We'll have, uh, you know, 12 original series over the next year in Japan that are uh, Japanese and, you know, not just the original series from the U.S., uh, though we have, have those as well. Uh, so we have a robust and interesting lineup there, and um, and I think we'll continue to, uh, you know, continue to move forward you know, serving those customers outside our current territories. Um, Do you think of the programming approach for that? Uh, Netflix has this idea that uh, appears to, I should say, based on its choices, have an idea that you can make shows that appeal across multiple markets or maybe even have, you know, global appeal depending on the theme and the characters. Uh, Whereas there's another school of thought that you really need to do very uh, local, smart, original programming, particularly in big, busy, complicated media markets. India is one of those. Um, what do you think? Do you think more locally about it, or do you think about how you can get shows that might you might be able to sell across territories? Is that a priority for you? Well, I think both things play a role. So, you know, uh, there are things that people want to see all around the world, and that's great. There's real demand there. But at the end of the day, you know, you can have a global service, but there are no global customers. There are only local customers. And they are interested in what they're interested in, which is often local content. So, uh, so you you have to design, I think, a uh, you know program a selection that has a mix of uh, international interesting content um, and and local. So, in in Japan, uh, we have a strong uh, Japanese lineup of Japanese shows, anime, uh, kids shows, Japanese dramas, and movies. Uh, and then we have international content, U.S. Uh, series and movies. But we kind of lead with the Japanese material. It's got the strongest uh, demand for the local market. Likewise, uh, India is a very local market. You know, there is um, 
significance for the U.S. movies and series, but um, but they have a very robust, obviously, movie business there. And so it's important to be strong with the local content. And I've been out there a couple times this year myself and uh, will be going again. And uh, so it's important to get the uh, Bollywood tour. Absolutely. <laughs> I've been on set. It was awesome. It's pretty they, crazy, huh? They broke into song. It was full musical. Did they have a number ready for you? Yeah. They it, they didn't do it for me because <laughs> I think they do it every day. It was <laughs> you know, it was normal for them, but it it was awesome. Uh, so it's a very exciting uh, place, and we look forward to getting going in India. So you're you're here in New York with us, uh, obviously to do this podcast, but also because there is a Woody Allen uh, premiere project that you're here for as well. I'm curious how you this was a high a big get. For Amazon, um, how you convinced Woody Allen, sort of an icon of the traditional film business, to jump into streaming? Well, I, th- I think as people see that, uh, you know, there's there's a strong customer demand, there's considerable creative freedom, there are considerable resources. Uh, you know, the reasons to draw a bright line between film and television start to fade away. Uh, you know, the budgets, the special effects. Woody doesn't use a lot of special effects, but... Uh, what were your conversations with him like, sort of specifically? Like, was he... What were his some of some of his maybe concerns, or, or how did you kind of finalize the deal with him? Well, we met at Bellman's and uh, talked about jazz briefly. That's, and, that's the, the way in yeah. with him. <laughs> and, uh, but then we talked about, you know, how do people consume... Uh, video on streaming services. How do they typically get it? Is it you know on the phone, on the TV, uh, what have you? And uh, you know what's working? How's it different? Um, and all of that. And I I think you know once he observed that there were a lot of uh, customers out there, a lot of viewers and fans of Woody Allen and. Uh, he could really do his thing in this context just as much as in film. Uh, I think it it uh, started to make sense. So, um, and I, I think you see that increasingly. You know, you'll see. I just think that line between t- TV and film, depending on the project, really kind of fades away over time. Have you guys, um, you know, when you started this original programming? strategy you you talked about and we wrote about the the crowdsourcing element to the, at least the pilot process the voting the using of data um uh, to help make your decisions about which of those pilots to move forward with how has that evolved how important is that now has that changed as a factor become smaller become larger in in your development process well i think it's helpful you get feedback from customers and you get feedback from customers um in the UK and in Germany and Japan and, and the US. Uh, and it's it's definitely better to have than not. You also get feedback from critics, uh, which can be predictive of, you know, the reaction of critics, which um, can be helpful. Um, it's, you know, it is a trade-off. It uh, uh, takes time. You know, the amount of time between saying, oh, that's a good idea for a TV show and having the show on the air is obviously longer if you have to produce a pilot and put it on the air and test it, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there are trade-offs, but I think we found it to be uh, to be useful so far. We just had, I think, a strong and fun pilot season with uh, 
uh, Jill Soloway's second show, I Love Dick, or second show for Amazon, uh, The Tick, and uh, um, uh, the third show that I'm uh, – wait, was The Tick? And Jean-Claude Von Johnson. How there you go. I forget, which is hilarious. <laughs> Uh, and it was great. I mean, they were very different shows. Uh, Jean-Claude was hilarious. The Tick was very funny. I Love Dick is very real, very personal, very moving. And uh, and it was great to get the uh, customer and critical feedback on those. So And those notes are, are coming through to the showrunners to, to, to tweak things. And I mean, are they generally do they want to know and want to get feedback on, well, this is at this age demo among our... Amazon Prime users seem to like it a lot, and people in this place who buy these kinds of things. I mean, do they do they want to know that level of detail about their show and who's watching it? Yeah, I think people want to understand the general reaction. Um, I don't. I don't think it's quite as useful for proscriptive advice, like you know, this is what you should do in Act Two, or you know, this character should do this, or you know, what have you. Uh, the writers are the writers. At the end of the day, you're not going to make someone like a Cardinals fan just because you can see that a ton of right. St. Louis people are, are watching a particular show. Yeah, I wouldn't be too you know prescriptive of it that way, but you do get a sense. You know, is this thing working or is this thing not working? Are people really responding to it in a passionate way or are they not? Because I, I think the real competition is not to be you know broadly accepted, but to be truly exceptional. You know, the TV environment is so competitive and in an on-demand world you need a show that people are going to demand uh there isn't for instance no show at eight thirty that you can put in between your eight o'clock hit and your nine o'clock hit uh so in that case in that scenario where you're you have a linear schedule having a show that will just retain audience and is pretty good um is useful in an on-demand environment a pretty good show that could serve that purpose is not very useful. So those sort of uh, mid-level shows, I think, lose value, and it's really about the competition for the top shows that get the most attention. I mean, to, to that end, well, we have to wrap things up pretty soon, but sort of like last question, the big elephant in the room is like the, the big uh, peak TV uh, argument that we, we're sort of at a, a place where there's just like you mentioned, four or five hundred shows. There's there's so much content out there that there's going to be some great shakeout, and whether that's sort of networks falling by the wayside or, or or not. I mean, do you think that we're headed towards some moment where there's going to be a real shakeout of that? You know, there's just too much TV, and it's it's going to sort of reduce. Or do you think it kind of continue to grow at this clip? Uh, well, you know, uh, I don't actually spend a lot of time being like a general philosopher of television. Well, this is your opportunity. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're on the podcast. That's just not my business. I'm focused on prime video around the world, getting great content to uh, Amazon customers, and that's what we're focused on. Hopefully, that's what we're doing. I think it's an amazing time for television. We're excited about the Woody show and about the Emmys this weekend. And so I think it's going well. I, I don't uh, see a lot of evidence or get distracted by any concept of like peak TV or what that means. Like when you can't cater a set because there are 90 shows trying to film in the same 60 mile radius in Vancouver, like that's got a, those are, those are signs of some sort of bubble. Some say, you know, you don't worry, you don't, you don't worry about this. Roy doesn't doesn't seem worried. No, (laughs) this is not a problem. All right. We'll continue to monitor it. We'll let you know. (laughs) Uh, Roy, thank you so much uh, for joining us. 
Uh, best of luck at the Emmys. Uh, that wraps it up for the Media Mix podcast. Thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.